The days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. Well, it's definitely, uh, officially, absolutely Christmas Eve, so congratulations. You've made it here to church or succeeded in getting your family to church or around the television set to watch online together. Maybe you're excited to be here. Maybe you're bored. You only came because somebody promised you dinner. Either way, to all of you, welcome. We're glad you're here. Whatever your attitude or disposition, I think we can all agree that this Christmas is special. Given our experience of Christmas 2020, this Christmas is special. Hopefully, more people are more comfortable with family gatherings and church attendance. But at the same time, of course, we still live with great uncertainty when it comes to everything. From new variants to vaccine boosters, mask mandates to supply chain disruptions, there are a lot of unknowns. Whatever your plans or approach has been to this Christmas, this Christmas, like every Christmas, holds promise. A hope that the season will bring good things into our hearts and our homes. You know, when we speak of something or someone as having promise, we believe there is good grounds for great expectation, substantial indication of future success, advantages just up ahead. A promise creates a sense of anticipation for the future. It fills us with hope for the future, and we need hope if we're going to live with purpose. A promise is especially powerful when it comes to our relationships. We draw closer to people who keep their promises, fulfill their end of the deal, deliver as advertised, just as we tend to distance ourselves from people who don't. Perhaps you know all this already, but the point I'm driving toward is this. God is a God of promises. It's true. God is a God of promises, and God can be trusted when he makes a promise. And did you realize that throughout the Bible, God makes hundreds of promises? We could easily spend hours this evening looking at all those promises. We could do that, but you can relax. We're not going to do that. Here's what we are going to do instead. We're going to look briefly at just one of those promises. Just one, but one that stands out and above all the other promises. And in this promise, we also receive so much of what we're looking for and longing for at Christmas. The promise was foretold over the centuries in myriad ways by all the prophets and patriarchs of the Bible. God made this promise over and over and over again. And each time he did, he added clues. Clues on the how, who, where, and when of the promise. For instance, in Genesis, after Adam and Eve mess up, God first made the promise to right the wrong by sending a promised one born of a woman. 
Later, he told Isaiah, this woman would be unmarried, a maiden. He told David that the promised one would be his descendant from his family and also a king. The prophet Micah announced God's promise that the king would be born in Bethlehem. That's just to name a few of the clues God gave. And because of this overarching promise, the people of Israel lived in a state of anticipation. For all their faults and failures, despite the chaos and calamity of so much of their history, they lived in a state of anticipation. And that is a great way to live. And as the centuries unfolded, the Israelites' anticipation grew. And it grew not only among the Jewish people themselves. History tells us that it was found elsewhere, everywhere. In China, it was believed a great wise man would be born in an obscure location. Confucius spoke of the great saint who is to come. In Greece, Socrates and his student Plato discoursed, discoursed about the Logos, the Logos, sometimes understood as someone to come who would finally make sense of the world. The Roman statesman Cicero spoke of a king to come who will save us from ourselves. The Roman poet Virgil wrote about a chaste woman smiling on her infant boy with whom the present age will end. And the Roman historian Tacitus wrote this, most people are generally persuaded in the faith of the ancient prophecies that the East will prevail and that from Judea will come the master and ruler of the whole world. There was anticipation throughout the ancient world for something or someone to come, a persistent anxiety or unease, the conviction for something or someone to make things right. And while that might sound like ancient history, actually that's exactly what it is, that persistent anxiety doesn't seem much different from the time we find ourselves in now. We live in very uncertain times. And it's not just COVID. There are a lot of unknowns about the future. We have most all of us do, an instinctive feeling that something is coming, that something is shifting, something is changing in our world, something is, is different, something more is needed. And it was to just such an environment that the gospel writer Luke wrote his account of the life of Jesus. And it begins like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. Luke is going to write about some fabulous, fantastic things in his gospel. So, from the start, he situates his count, account in facts, solidly in history. At a very specific point in history, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, decreed that a census was to be taken of everyone in the Roman Empire. So here's what happened. All went to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph, too, went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, 
to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. In just two short verses, Luke points back to some of the major clues given about when and where and how God would fulfill his promise. Take a a look. He mentions Mary. That's the promise in Genesis, that the chosen one would be born of a woman. He mentions his betrothed. That's the promise in Isaiah, that the woman would be unmarried. She would be a maiden. He mentions Bethlehem. That's the promise of Micah. And he mentions the house and family of David. That's the promise he made to to David. Texts written by different authors in different centuries, all about God's promises, all converging on this one event. Luke goes on. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The promise comes not with great fanfare, as we might expect, but humbly as a little child, a little child born into poverty and obscurity. Next, Luke shifts scenes and takes us outside of Bethlehem to the fields between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. There were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed around them and they were struck with great fear. Shepherds living out in the fields, they slept and ate and did everything outside. They had to fight off predators and find shelter from the elements. It was a rugged and rough life and no one who had other options would choose to do it. As a consequence, shepherds were considered as low as you could go on the social scale. So low, they weren't even welcome to worship in the temple. And these unlikely figures, probably no more than boys, became among the very first people in the whole world to learn about the fulfillment of God's promise. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Fear not, do not be afraid. The most common message found in the Bible. The angel tells the shepherd, the shepherds, their appearance is no reason for fear. It's a reason for joy. Good news of great joy. Now, You might not be anything like those shepherds because your first thought when it comes to God or anyone representing God may not be fear. It's far from fear. Maybe it's more like disinterest or skepticism. However, God has good news of great joy for you too because it's good news of great joy for all people. That's what the angel says, and that absolutely includes you. So... If you've been zoning out or thinking about dinner or what you're getting for Christmas, here's where you might want to tune back in to hear the rest of the angel's message because the rest of the angel's message is the promise everybody's been waiting for. The angel says, today, a savior has been born. That's it. That's the promise of Christmas. That's the fulfillment of the promise of Christmas. A savior 
has been born. Perhaps you're unimpressed. And granted, in ordinary time, that might not make much of an impact on us. In fact, it could be insulting. To say you've been given a savior implies, well, it implies you need saving. And, and that's, not, that's not good. In ordinary times, that doesn't sound so good. But I think that we can all agree, these are no ordinary times. And whether you're nine or 90, none of us has been here before. None of us has been in times quite so uncertain. And while maybe two, two years ago, the promise of a savior sounded somewhere between irrelevant or worse, insulting, perhaps you might want to reconsider. Because over the last 20 months, many of us, most all of us probably, have been wrestling with fear of the future, concern for kids and grandkids, anxiety about our country and our world and where it's all going, to name just a few of the worries we're currently worrying about. Maybe you see all the troubles out there in the world and you think, we need a peacemaker. Maybe your family has experienced deep division over politics and you think, we need common ground. Maybe you've lost significant income during this period of time as your business has shifted and changed and you think, we need a new plan. Maybe school isn't going for you as you'd hoped, not at all, and you think, I need a friend. Maybe you've been feeling terrible and you don't know what's wrong and, and they can't figure it out either and you think, I need a miracle. Maybe during this period, you've turned to some very unhealthy habits and you think, I need help. Respectfully, what you need is a savior. And this Christmas, the Lord Jesus Christ invites you into his grace and favor, favor to personally come to know him in exactly that way, a savior, your savior, your savior from, from doubt, despair, debt, your savior from Lack of meaning, lack of purpose, lack of direction. He can be the savior of your faults, your failures, your fears. He can be the savior over your anger. He can be the savior of your marriage. A savior means we face the past without regret, the present with clarity and confidence, and the future with hope. It's true, the bad news is that so much has fallen and failed and just plain broken around us all the time. Our problems can't always be fixed with our solutions. That's the bad news. The good news of great joy is that we don't have to try and always fix everything all by ourselves. We have help. We have hope. We have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, two words the angels said to the shepherd 2,000 years ago apply to us now. And they're so simple, they're often overlooked entirely. But think about it. The angel says, for today. For today. Think about that. Previous generations had to wait for their Savior. We don't. Today, you can have a relationship with the Savior of the world right now. 
Just open your hearts to him here in, in this mass. Carve out a little quiet time for him each day in the coming year where you can talk to him and listen to. You don't have to wait. Today, a Savior is born for you.